Hi, this is Robert from Columbia, South Carolina, and you're listening to The Candid Frame. There comes a time for many photographers when they think about earning money from using a camera. Some want to make it their full-time profession, while others want to earn enough to pay for their expensive hobby. But the challenge can be trying to figure out what kind of photographer you want to be. When Diana Lundeen ended her career as a professional writer and editor, that's the very question she asked herself. She explored the usual avenues, including headshots and children's portraiture. However, it was pets that became her forte, and upon which she has built a successful business. However, it didn't start as easily as you might think. In 2007, I got hired to do, uh, a woman had gotten collars and leashes for dogs, and she says, can you shoot this for me? And I go, yes, I can do that. You know what? No, I I really couldn't. I mean, I didn't know how to work with the animals. It just seemed like it would be easy. It was like saying, okay, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even remember. Maybe I blotted out. It turned out okay, but it was flop sweat the entire time. Not only has Diana enjoyed great success in her business, she will soon be releasing her first book, Dogs vs. Ice Cream. It consists of fun and beautiful portraits of dogs eating doggy ice cream. As simple as the concept sounds, the images are just amazing. We'll talk to Diana about how she transitioned from one career to another and how she came to publish her first book that was inspired by a YouTube video of two dogs visiting McDonald's. This is Ibarion X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, thank you for coming out. I, I really enjoyed talking with you a couple of weeks back, so I'm yeah. glad we finally be able to sit down because I yeah. love the work that you showed me at at the event, and I got a soft spot for dogs anyway. Well, but, who doesn't? You have a dog, right? Oh yeah, Tell I've me. had several dogs. Tell me a little about Zoe. Zoe, she's the she's the late, latest mistress of the house, mm-hmm. and, and they are yeah, and she's a four year old, three and a half, four year old pit. Mm-hmm. Actually, we actually had two dogs before. It was Spencer, who was the first dog I ever had as an adult. Mm-hmm. And he was a black shepherd. Yeah. And then we got Tracy. So it was Spencer <sighs> and Tracy. Mm-hmm. And Tracy was a Sharpay mix. Oh. And so we got Tracy to keep Spencer occupied because he was a much older dog. And we were thinking that Tracy would probably outlive Spencer because there was such a difference in age. And Tracy got cancer. Oh, no. She had cancer in the back of her tongue. We just saw this growth on the back of her oh, tongue. No. And, oh, no. and uh, it was, we had to put her down, which is yeah. sad. And then he kind of took a downturn after that. And it was, it was the saddest thing. People say that dogs don't mourn. They don't know what the hell oh, they're talking right. about. Because he stopped eating. He would look, he would come into the house from the back door and he would look at the back door waiting for him to come in. And, you know, he just started to, you know, progress. He lasted mm-hmm. for a while. But then we got Zoe. And it was it was nice to have another dog, but I think it was he was already probably around twelve, something like that, when we got. And then he passed away about a year and a half ago, at fifteen. And so right now we just have Zoe, and she is uh, sort of a brindle coat, mm-hmm. and she is just 
She thinks she's a lap dog. <laughs> it's yeah. surprising how many pit bulls do. Little pitties think that they are lap dogs and they're. Yeah, and we didn't intend to get a pit bull when we went down to the Pasadena Humane Society to pick one up. And uh, I'd looked at a couple of other dogs, but when I brought them to Spencer, they didn't seem to be agreeable to each other. And we had passed Zoe, and she was a cute dog, but it didn't resonate with me. But then my wife sort of said, why don't you bring that dog over? And Spencer walked up to her, sniffed her, and walked away. And I said, that's a good sign, <laughs> right? Because he was completely indifferent to her. And so we got her. She had actually been the pet of a homeless girl that was in a park that's not too far from there. She had, this was actually the second time she had returned it to the Humane Society. She had know. it. She gave it, it. She gave it to the Humane Society, then want, wanted her back, but then finally just said, I can't keep the dog. So that's how we got her. And she, because she was a pit bull, we felt responsible to get her properly trained. So we paid for a trainer out in the San Fernando Valley. And, uh, you know, within two or three weeks, he had her down. The rest of the time was training us, breaking us of all our bad habits with respect <laughs> to dogs and learning how to be consistent and be disciplined mm-hmm. and not, you know, you can't go, you can't be intermittent in terms of, you know, what you expect from a dog. And it was really good. So she's, she's really good. I think the only issue I have with her is when we're walking her and other dogs start barking, she gets really excited. So right now I'm trying to sort of break her of that. But otherwise, if I tell her to sit down and do all those things, she'll stay there. She won't eat until I tell her to. So sometimes sometimes I've forgotten to tell her and then I'll walk away. And like 45 45 minutes later, I hear this whimpering and I go, go, (laughs) go. But and I'm glad that she's disciplined to that that degree. But it's like that initial excitement when someone new or a new dog is around, it's it's kind of hard to sort of like get it because she gets so excited. And she's like 60, 56 pounds of muscle. So my neighbor has two pits. The boy is very, he's the older one. Uh, he's been around a little bit longer. And he's just, he's very friendly, very sweet, very, you know, he, and he loves his Aunt Nabisco because I'm always giving him a treat. But um, the other one just has no controls. She's just like full on on you. And she's knocked us down. I mean, I'm hard to knock down, but she's knocked me down. She's, she, she's not, she's friendly. Yeah. But she's, uh, and she's been to training multiple times. Yeah, when I take her to the vet or I take her to the uh, location where we bathe her, She's wonderful. I mean, they all love her. She'll go up to talk with, I mean, they'll talk to her and they can pet her and she's perfectly fine. She doesn't act up. You know, she she maintains my commands. But when she's in the house and some stranger comes in, it's like, okay, <laughs> that doesn't work. Just because I guess it's just very territorial at right. that point. Mm-hmm. But anywhere else, she's sort of the sweetest, sweetest dog. So I just have to, you know, be careful with her because I know how people are about dogs, periods, but pits in particular yeah so i just i just maintain as much responsibility and control over her as 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 i can people go can i touch her i go no and you shouldn't do that with any dog i don't care how cute how nice they are you don't stick your hand in into their face it's inviting it's inviting trouble kind of let them get to know you a little bit yeah yeah you have a lot of experience with that as as a (laughs) photographer but before we get talking into into the pet photography I want to learn a little more about you before you started doing all that. You were a journalist, mm-hmm. a, a producer. You were doing a lot of stuff, primarily around writing. 
Yes. Uh, is, is that something you sort of aspired to do from, from very from young? From when I was young, yeah. I decided to go to major in journalism. I was on the yearbook staff and then newspaper staff when I was in high school. I also took a photography, several photography classes in high school, you know, the dark room and all that stuff. And uh, when I went to college, I majored in journalism and my emphasis was photojournalism. I had a mix of the writing. And then all my beginning jobs, I went the slow community newspaper route on my trajectory up, if you can call it that. Um, <laughs> my first job was at the Grand Canyon News, and I did the writing. I was the only person up there, so I, I did the writing of the sports and of the news and, you know, the rescues and what have you and all the photography. And then once a week I would go down and do the production over uh, in Williams, which was where the the Williams News put out the Grand Canyon News. So I would go down there, do all the darkroom work. They would do hot type at that time. They were still doing hot type. Yeah, I remember that. And then uh, and then I was making halftones out of the... the what, Prince, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. And after that, I would deliver them once a week. I mean, it was like that yeah. much of an upstart. Some of them would get them in the, you know, most of the subscribers would get them in the mail, but I would go around to the newspaper stands with my Volkswagen bug and, you know, put them over at the grocery store. Yeah. I'd even pick up at the ads from the grocery store. The Grand Canyon had one grocery store. You know, I'd go over there and they would make the weekly specials and, mm-hmm. you know, I would pick them up. I mean, I did like I did everything over there. And it, it was really fun. But then as you go up the chain in the newspaper, you got to pick one or the other. And I didn't know how to do flash. I was so afraid of flash photography that I said, well, I'm going to be a writer. And that was really what I, that's what sort of dissuaded you from continuing in photography. Yeah. Wow. I know. And then when I learned it, I just go, this is so easy. I have had this paper tiger chasing me this whole time, and it was so easy. It's just basically a little formula. Learn the formula. Get creative with it if you want to, but the basic thing is flash is easy. Considering everything that you were already doing to put out that paper and all the things that you had to learn in order to make that happen. It's amazing that it was just the flash. It was the thing that was like the the brick wall. It was. It it was. It was was my, you know, Armageddon. (laughs) I couldn't get beyond it. I could put a flash on my camera. um, Well, later on, when I was a reporter and I was still doing a little bit of photography, I could, you know, bounce it off the ceiling with just an attached flash on the camera, but mm-hmm. off-camera flash was just like, oh my God, I don't have no idea. And then I finally took some classes from Julia Dean. I've taken a couple classes from her, which we met at the Los Angeles Center of Photography, which Julia Dean runs. Yeah. Uh, but before it, was, before it was the Julia Dean workshops, and I took some classes from her, and I just like wanted to hit my head. I got, <laughs> this is so easy. <laughs> This is so easy. Subject to distance, you know. So, so you were working at a, at, at a website for about 10 or 11 years? Yeah, for 11 years I worked at, um, it was called Homestore, I think, when I first started it. But they ran Realtor.com. And then it basically became, well, it became Move.com. And they still ran Realtor.com. I think it's still that way now. I'm not 100%. It could be just Realtor. But yeah, I was a website editor there. Survived so many layoffs, I can't even tell you. But finally, I've, I hit my last layoff round. And I was happy because 
you know, I, I always said, well, they're going to have to kind of make me walk the plank. They're paying me very well. And I had accumulated all this photography equipment. And in the last year that I was there, I kind of was seeing the writing on the wall. So I started accumulating video equipment because I didn't want to do weddings and I needed something higher priced, you know, when I was out on my own. So I go, well, I'll do video, not weddings, but I'll do video. And then, then I started looking around actually at different genres yeah. for photography. That transition of being laid off, I think, is sort of a catalyst for a lot of f- photographers that I've had the chance to interview. They, they they get laid off, and it's sort of a critical moment. We can either panic and bury the head in the sand, or try to sort of stay within the same business or career, or make a market leap into something else. What well, was the so, first and third? Huh? First and third. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, panic. <laughs> and then make something new out of it. So... You know, you get you get laid off, and starting a business is not an easy thing. I mean, you may have the equipment to take the photographs, but there's so much to learn. Like, the flash sort of kept you from doing it, but all the stuff that you had to learn in terms of a business, was it necessity that allowed you to get past whatever insecurity or doubt or fear to learn that stuff in order to make it happen? Well, I'm one of the ones who uh, make all the mistakes along the way to learn. So I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And then finally, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do to get there. And first of all, I, I was, I had done a lot of headshots. And I had done a lot of headshots for a lot of years while I was, uh, you know, on weekends when I was working. And I was doing headshots even where I was working. So I figured I'm going to go into headshots and maybe some portraits. I didn't want to do children. I didn't really want to do families, but I figured, well, I can do these things. And I was hooked up pretty good for a while. And then I just said, you know, I have to find something that's that calls to me. And I tried, I tried infant photography because there was a whole bunch of tutorials online about, you know, infant photography. And I tried it and I did it with five babies. And 100% of them pooed, peed, or did, did something, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't think this is for me. I'm, I'm kind of queasy that way. So uh, then I tried food photography, and it was so exacting. And I go, you know what? Maybe that isn't for me. But I had always loved animals, always, always. And in 2007, I got hired to do uh, a woman had gotten collars and leashes for dogs. And she says, can you shoot this for me? And I go, yes, I can do that. And you know what? No, I I really couldn't. I mean, I didn't know how to work with the animals. It just seemed like it would be easy. It was like saying, okay, uh, you know, I, I I don't even remember. Maybe I blotted out. It turned out okay, but it was flop sweat the entire time. And so I, uh, I didn't do it for a long time. Then I watched a video on Creative Live. I use a lot of Creative Live classes. And I watched this one photographer do pet photography. And she was really awful at it. She was just, I'm like, like I couldn't learn from her. And then they did this tryout with Arika Dorf, who was in Henderson, um, Nevada at that time. And I go, I can't. I can do that. And then she had a full-blown two-day course on Creative Live, and I watched her, and I was mesmerized. And I go, I can do that. And so I started borrowing my neighbor animals and, hey, can I shoot your dog? And so I started doing a lot of that and just, you know, didn't charge anybody. It was just, I was just trying to learn it. And after a while, I kind of got good at it. So, But when um, you say you saw 
her doing it. And he said, I can do that. What were you seeing her do that you felt like, yeah, I, I can make this happen? Well, I, I saw the tricks that she uses, and the tricks were easy. But they, I mean, I can't do what Arika does. She's really gifted. But she did a certain noise sound out of, that she created out of her mouth, and it was like the dogs just paid attention to that. And then she was talking about some other tricks and noises and things like that that you can use, and that's what I... I didn't see it in the first photographer I, because the dogs weren't looking at her, but I did see it in Arica. And so what I use now is I have, actually I have three of them. I have three necklaces. They're actually hunt and call necklaces. Uh, and th- I have hunting calls attached to them. And I have doves, I have hogs, I have, you know, distressed, distressed uh, predator animal. I, I have a whole bunch of different sounds. Dogs don't pay attention to sound for very long. If they don't get a payoff after about three little sounds, then they stop looking. There's no interest. There's no payoff for them. So that's why I have a necklace, because I can change the sounds. And then, you know, if you just do a knock behind the door, like, or if I'm sitting on like a, an Apple box, just do a knock there. They'll pay attention to that. Uh, squeaky toy. I sometimes don't even bring the toy. I just bring the squeaker. I bought a bag of squeakers, so I just... And, like, if you're working with a client, they're like, they just, like, can't stop squeaking. And for me, it's like, if you can't get them in two times, then throw out the noise and get another one because they're not responding to it. So it was, it's basically with animals, with dogs, it's noise. And if noise is, like, 80% of it, and if they don't respond to noise, then you might take out the treats. But I don't start out with treats. I like to let them know what they're, as they say in Survivor, here's what you're playing for. I will occasionally give them a treat, but mostly the treats I give her after the session. So what kind of research did you go, uh, look into in terms of the, the market to have an understanding of who else was out there, how much they were charging, how they procured clients? Oh, I did a lot of that. I did a lot. Of, I still do it. I try. I'm, I'm always surprised how many pet photographers there are in Los Angeles. There are a lot. And oh, yeah. there are so many that I know quite a few. Some of them I'm friends with, but some of them are real competitors. And so I'm always looking at, you know, the information that I can get from various, I don't always tell my methods, but mm-hmm. I, I'm always um, trying to find out who's out there, what they're doing, how I fit into that. And then sometimes I have to just let go of that because sometimes it's just depressing to see to see all of that. It's just noise. It just fills up your mind with, yeah. with doubt. So I just kind of do my thing. I get called a lot because I'm on the first page of Google. Yeah, I was is, noticing how you, when I just did that, it's like you come up. Yeah. 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 I've been I've been up to first place, but you know it just it fluctuates, and as long as I stay on the first page, I'm pretty happy with that. And then I feel like when they get to that first page and they're looking, like I think my work speaks for itself. I think if you look in comparison to other people, like some people do a different style, and that's fine if they want that style. I don't have a, any qualms at all about stylistic choices. You know, mine I do. I do in a studio style. I say studio style because I bring a studio to their home. I don't have a studio, so I just do it in their home and set it up. I do outdoors. I do uh, off-camera flash. I do all kinds of things. So, I mean, I like, so if they look at my 
my stuff. I feel like confident if that's if they can see the look they want, they'll find it on my page. Mm-hmm. And if they want something different, they'll find somebody else. And I'm perfectly okay with that. We all do our thing a little bit differently. So yeah, you know, you talked about earlier about having an understanding that this is something that you could do. Mm-hmm. That you could take pictures of pets in a variety of different different ways and. You know, you were confident that you could produce a, a good product. But in terms of sort of business and marketing, is trying to figure out like your niche, especially in a field that's sort of a luxury item. It is a luxury item. So in, in terms of trying to figure out where you fit along those lines, not just in terms of the kinds of pictures that you can take, but the kind of service you want to provide. I do want to provide a boutique service. Um, what I want owners really to have is something grand of their, of their pet a nice wall portrait or a book of albums so that they always remember what their animal looked like in a really good time of their life. I mean, that's really what I want. I get a lot of calls, end of life calls, you know, and those are very sad to me. But in terms of, you know, I I do do a boutique sort of service. It's not high volume. Uh, Some like the ice cream socials are high volume, but that's, you know, that's a little different for, for me. But I do a very custom type of work and that's what um, I'm, I'm hoping for people to see a really a, a product that really honors their pets I have really great vendors that I use for to produce my products I'm very proud of them when people see them they can see the difference um, I feel like they can see the difference there's some really beautiful uh, in fact why well, I was just at the animal image makers conference in Minneapolis and I've used the vendor before, and I like his work. And, you know, they had a little, uh, what do you call it, um, exhibition hall where, where they had the vendors. And I'd used this company before, and I like them. I had, you know, I hadn't used them for a while, but I, I liked some of the things that they did. And this guy had, he was the owner of the company, he had a print style that I'd never seen before. I've seen the metallics. I've seen metallic paper, not just metal prints, but he, but uh, you know, gloss. I've seen the luster, all the different finishes. But he had one that that is originally done on gloss, and then he sprays it ten times with a matte finish, and the depth that it brought out was astonishing. And I think I want to switch all of my prints into this because it's extraordinary and he doesn't even have it on the price sheet yet he says you know hey call me up uh, or or just tag me to say that you want what you saw in in Minneapolis so that's what I'm going to do I think that's my new my new method of getting uh, beautiful prints it's just extraordinary when people decide to launch a a career in photography be it as a portrait photographer or headshot photographer or whatever genre they're, they're interested in what I normally see is that people research what other people are doing Mm-hmm. And they'll both emulate their style and their pricing model. And then they'll go out there. And what I want to ask you is because you just described uh, an understanding of what you provide that's sort of very clear. It's very distinct. Uh, you know exactly what you're bringing to, to the table to offer to your client. Did that develop from the inception of this idea or was, like you mentioned before, it was a result of a variety of different mistakes that you made that allowed you to come to the point that you're at now? Uh, well, that's interesting. From the beginning, I've done, from the beginning of the pet photography, I've done IPS, in-person sales. Even though I go to the client's home, I do in-person sales to show them a slideshow of their images and 
all of the products that I sell so that they have a chance to put their fingers on it. They get a chance to emotionally be exposed to the images of their pet. And I've done that from the beginning. Now, the mistakes that I made when I was doing family photography, I put, I put the images on um, an online gallery. I'm like, no one buys anything. Nobody buys like, four by sixes, five by sevens. That's what they buy because they don't know any better. They don't have anybody got them guiding them through the process. And in headshot photography, nobody's looking for for me to supply the eight by tens. They're looking for the digital images. So that's a different business model. So you and and that one is going to kind of stay where it is. But for me, the in person sales is really a way to to fulfill the client's needs once they see the images that they like to put them on the wall to see how they would look. I, I have a program where I can take the images that they select and then I can build an, on uh, like an, a wall gallery of the art so that with their, with their actual living room. So they can totally see the sizes that will work on there. And we can adjust the sizes if they're you know, too big, too small. We can adjust the sizes in that program. So they have a really good idea of exactly how that will look on their wall. And I think that's a real benefit when you can actually visualize from there. Like I say, I'm not the I'm not the most expensive photographer. I'm not the cheapest photographer, but I just feel like, you know, I do provide as much extra service as I can. I see the client at least three times during we do the shoot, I do the presentation of their images and then I deliver, hand deliver everything to their homes. So and I always feel like we we get along pretty well by that time, like the third time. Like I have great clients. Well, let's talk about your relationships with the people, with the clients. Because as much as your images are about pets, they're not the ones that hire you. I know. They don't buy. <laughs> well, no, that's the good thing is because because if it's a lot of times people don't want to be in there in the session. They don't want to be f- photographed. Um, so it's just they're animals. And they it, it makes it so much easier that, I mean, I, I know I'm sounding conspiratorial, but it makes it so much easier that it's their dog that they're choosing because they're not worried about like makeup or do, does the dog look fat or that, you know, they're not worried yeah. about any of those things. If the dog has a, a little boo-boo, you know, they know I can take that out in Photoshop or I tell them I can take it out in Photoshop. So there's, I mean, it's like, like my clients, like I would say their pets are their children, even if they have real children, those children are usually out of the house, and so it's the pet who is, you know, they're, they're empty nesters if they're older, and then this is the first child if they're a couple, you know, is their dog. So they have a different relationship with their dog than a family pet. Like, families never hire me, never, yeah. because all the money goes into the children, and I under, I totally understand that. So... It, it's easy in a sense because you can hardly do wrong by giving them some good images of their dogs. You know, you sometimes see the dog in a new way that they haven't seen, or you see the dog exactly as they are, which they love just as much. So it's really, it's really, um, it's really great. the The clients I have, they're just like this is a great experience for them. It's a, it's actually a great experience to have to to have a pet photographer photographing your dog for 90 minutes or two hours or something. They really enjoy it. Yeah, when Spencer Patton, when Tracy, when you, she was passing away, the day before I was going to take her into the vent, uh, we booked a photographer friend of mine to do a beach shoot mm-hmm. with uh, me, my wife, Spencer, and Tracy. 
and I knew that I wanted us in the yeah. in, in the photographs, right? Because we had been all been on this journey together, and I looked at the, the I looked I looked I looked at those photographs not so much as documentation documentation of my pets. It was like this was a big part of our lives for a long time, and I wanted to memorialize it in, in that way. So I didn't see the pet photography as just say a portrait. I got plenty of pictures of sort of the, my dogs and the, the one cat that we've owned. When, when your clients come to you, how, how many do you think are looking at it in, in that way, that it's a reflection of their lives and not just necessarily a nice portrait of their, of their pet? That's a good question. Um, you know, you can take selfies with your pet, but it's really hard to get a good image, a good professional portrait of your dog with a camera. And so a lot of times people hire me just so I can memorialize their relationship. And it's not always at the end of life. I, I, I get a lot of them that say, you know, I just really want to get a picture with my, with my dog. I have one of those tomorrow. I have one of those shoots tomorrow. It's like, the dog is nine. The dog is fine. And she just wants a picture with her dog, you know, to, to memorialize their relationship. Yeah. Many of you have downloaded the Candid Frame app, which I promote every week on the show. It's been an important resource for us, as some podcast aggregators, including Apple Podcasts, doesn't provide complete access to all 467 episodes. So for those of you who want to go all the way back to those early episodes, the app is the easiest and most convenient way to do it. It's something that was only made possible by your contributions. Your help not only provided us the means to have it designed, but also to make it available for free to everyone. One of the things that the app allows me to do is provide content outside of the weekly podcast. So recently, I uploaded an excerpt from my book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow. So if you have the app, you can download a PDF of an excerpt to your tablet or phone. You'll find it listed among the most recent episodes on the app. I hope you enjoy it. This and so many other things have been made possible through your support. And if you haven't already, please take the time today to become a Patreon supporter. By contributing $5 or more a month, you are helping us to improve the show in any number of ways. So go to patreon.com forward slash the candid frame and become a Patreon supporter today. Thanks. When people reach out to you because they want to hire you, I, I imagine that you have a sort of certain advantage because if they're coming to you already, they've already determined that it's something that they want to do. Right? But that doesn't guarantee the, the sale for you. No. So what happens in the interaction that helps to sort of convert that into an actual, actual sale? Because it's not like cold calling where you have to convince someone to meet with you and all that. They're, they're already coming to you because they have a need and they're thinking that you may fill it. But you're still, even before you start making the pictures as, as a saleswoman, you have to sort of figure out, okay, how can I convince them to go with me rather than one of my competitors? Well, that is a good question. I think where they don't go with me is if they're very price sensitive. I have my prices 
my session fee listed on my website. I actually have two places where you can see my entire price list on the website, and then I want to bring that up as early of the conversation as possible because I don't want there to be surprises. But it's usually the price sensitive who don't want to go all the way. And, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this a lot of times, but we've done a disservice. Photography has a bit of a problem right now. One of the things we've done is a disservice to our clients that we aren't full service and that we provide a CD of... I don't know, good images, crap images, we provide this CD, and then people are trained then to expect a CD at low prices. And a lot of that stems from this could be a weekend job for people, so they don't, you know, oh, good, I can buy a lens. After they've, you know, done 100 of these or 10 of these, you know, CD kind of situations. And I don't do the CD you can't even get a CD from me. I want, I want to provide, I, I'll provide digital images because, you know, in some ways that's, but my digital image, people get a di- digital image with every print they buy. So they always get something to share. Um, I don't charge them extra for that. And I do sell digital images, but I'm very cognizant that it's one of the most expensive things that they could purchase because they have unlimited use of those images as far as buying quantities of them. And, and they can bypass me entirely on you know, selling prints and that kind of thing. So it's really what I offer, price sensitivities that will make me not get the client. Or, you know, some people don't have any any price sensitivity at all. Is part of your success in being able to convert them in educating them? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's part of it. That's part of it. You know, telling them, I, I give a lot of service to my clients. I, and I have a fairly fast turnaround time, too. I edit all the images, not before I show it to them, but I always show them a couple images fully edited so that they know what they're getting if I do the slideshow without that. But educating them, um, I I belong to so many Facebook groups that talk about how they don't sell digital images or CDs of them or they don't. And one of my very favorite uh, responses was somebody who said, the person objected and said, well, my last photographer gave me all the um, CDs on an image, and her response was, oh, I'm so sorry they they didn't provide you with good service, and, you know, (laughs) that they made you do that all on your own, so. And then a couple of years from now, you're looking for a computer with a CD player. Exactly. I don't have one. I mean, I have a CD on the side. Mm -hmm. I don't have one in the computer anymore. I haven't for the last two computers, so. Well, you mentioned the ice cream socials that you you do, and you get your book, Dogs Versus Ice Cream. Yes. Which I I just loved when you showed me the, I guess, the proofs? You showed me the galley? That was the PDF PDF, uh, proof of the book, of the entire book. So you actually got a physical copy here, or is that just the cover? No, this is the cover that I I brought along. I did an event not so long ago. This is actually bigger than what it is, but it is the cover. So, well, people can't see it right now, but when they go to the hopefully the site, uh, they'll have a chance to oh, yeah, to, to see it. So, tell us how this all came about. Oh, <laughs> She's showing me one of the pictures of a looks like a little chihuahua mongrel mix eating the top of the cone, little terrier mix. Terrier yeah. mix. Oh, just his head is bent in bliss. I mean, the eyes are closed. It's like, wouldn't you say that is a if you were looking at a p- portrait of bliss? Yeah, with that. 
speak to you. What do you see in this one? This is a, what kind of dog is that? It is um, a Dachshund Chihuahua mix. He, he reminds me of that uh, gizmo from the Gremlin movies with the ears sticking out. <laughs> yeah. With these big wide eyes as it's licking its mouth covered in ice cream. Ears too. It, oh, oh yeah, the ears and just look, it's in shock and in heaven at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um, but yeah, how did you get started in making these images in the first place? So there was a I, video, right? There was a video that you saw. Yes. Okay. It was uh, Cooper and Daisy. It, it was this video with these. Daisy is a beagle and Cooper is a hound. And they're in the front seat of the car with their mom who's filming this. And, they, and she has an ice cream. She goes, oh, we went to McDonald's and got an ice cream today. And let's give Daisy some first. And so Daisy's slowly licking it. So then she says, and why do we let Daisy eat first? And then she's trying to keep Cooper away. She's like, why do we let Daisy eat first? And she brings the ice cream to Cooper. Because Cooper eats his too fast and just takes Swallows the it whole. whole. I love that I mean, video. Yeah, it's great. It's so <laughs> funny. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, there must be really cool professional pictures of dogs eating ice cream. And I looked, and there weren't. I mean, there weren't. There was a lot of ones with, with dogs being fed ice cream by their owners. But, and some of them at the uh, little socials that the pet stores will put out. And they, but they were all in cups and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I want to make a pretty one. So I actually called an ice cream truck. I said, hey, I would like to do this, you know, ice cream socials for dogs. And he said, well, you can't use real ice cream. And like, I had no idea. Mm. And so I, um, I said, no. And he goes, no, don't make him sick. So... I uh, researched that some more and found out, oh, there's all kinds of dog ice cream. So I started out with Frosty Paws, which you can get in any grocery store. And I had a little a little evening where I set up all my lights and everything and invited some neighbor dogs over just so I could see if I could make them. And so it turned out really well. And then I had another one, and it turned out really well. It was funny. I mean, it's, it's also just fun. It's yeah. just really fun. I, I would scoop the ice cream out of the cups and I would put it on a cone so it looked cool. It, like, it looked like real ice cream. Then, you know, I brought it the idea to a, a dog boutique and they said, yeah, let's set something up. You know what? It was so much fun that even the first time, because people were calling their friends to come over. Hey, come over to here. They're having an ice cream social. Bring your dog. And they were like, socializing throughout the store it was really oh wow it was really fun and we had a lot of clients that day so that we did it the next year and it sold out for two days and then I did a well it was free to the people I mean I I got a I got a little money it was like I got 150 bucks but we did 45 dogs in a two-hour event it was a lot oh my god it was a lot it was a lot. I mean, like, we were just rapid firing. I wasn't the full customer service, but the pictures turned out really great. I mean, super great. And I, I met, the, so that's how the socials began. And people just, they would sell out all the time. So then I went to this business conference, and I was sitting behind this man who looked at, I do composite photography of pets right. too, and he was really interested in that. And he says, I'd like to introduce you to my publisher. Well, long story short, he did, and the, the publisher actually wanted ice cream photos. And I said, well, great. And that was, the, it's familiar, it's the name of the, the publisher. We signed the contract 
I think in the beginning of July, and then I started panicking because they wanted 100 dogs. And I'm like, 100 dogs? And how many had you had so far that you could use in the book that you thought? I thought I shouldn't use any for the book because they were on different backgrounds, and then I wanted everything, and they had different ice cream colors, and I wanted everything consistent. So I wanted everything on more kind of popsicle-y type of backgrounds. Rather, Some of the other ones were not that at all. And so I... I had seven ice cream socials throughout the city in Echo Park, Chatsworth, Huntington Beach, Beverly Hills. I mean, everywhere. And we had seven of them and they, in Studio City. We, we sold out of all of them, and we had to add hours on. But we did it really low price because I needed tails in the seats more than I needed, you know, <laughs> money. Tails in the seats. And I needed the tails. So we did it for $29. They got an 8 by 10 and a digital file, the ice cream, and the chance to be in the book. So, so we photographed 192. 192 and 100 are in the book. And a little over 100 are in the book. Because some of the pictures have two from the same family, two okay. dogs from the same family. There's a few of those. And then they said 100. And I just like, I, I, oh, my God, I can't leave this dog. Oh, my God, I can't leave this dog out. And I had to leave dogs not in, and it broke my heart, but I also got some really great-looking dogs. So ex- explain the setup, and what was the most challenging part about getting a good picture of a dog eating ice cream? Uh, the, setup, the setup was really easy. I bought a really cheap ottoman, and I used Seamless in the background, and I used, I think I, think I only used two lights for this. I used Beauty Dish. I used Einstein lights. I used Photo out on, you know, out in the off camera outside but but when I want to shoot something really fast those Einsteins like you can't beat them they really are fast lights so um, fast and accurate so I used the Einstein I think I used two of them on each one I used a beauty dish and then I would use an octobank so that's how we photographed did the lighting on it and then getting them is is really just fast these shoots last like five minutes or less and it's like you know you just rapid fire and if you try and shoot it while the tongue is out by the time you get that image the tongue won't be out but so. you're not using it in motor drive mode you're just shooting pretty rapidly yes very rapidly if you do motor drive you're going to miss too many because the lights haven't recharged so you do it just really really fast a lot of pictures i mean each dog had two or three hundred pictures so wow. yeah they had a scoops lot of ice cream no, it's like one, but one? well, some of, no, some of the gulpers. <laughs> I had, I've had a few dogs that had three ice cream cones before I could even get one picture, and it was so funny. <laughs> one of them just like, okay, I enjoyed that, and then threw it all up oh. on the seamless. It was kind of funny. It, it, it actually was very funny. It's like I can't take it anymore. But um, yeah, some of them ate them really fast. Like my neighbor dog just. The whole you can you can see the entire scoop of ice cream just in his in his mouth. It's pretty funny, and then but you know what? Just as funny are the dogs that hate the ice cream. Oh, why? Because they have such human expressions. That's one thing I think that you see in this book is that is kind of the humanity of these canines. They're very uh, you can see emotions. You were you and I were talking earlier about the emotions like, you know, grief and yeah. and that kind of thing. Well, they have they have really 
I think they really have corresponding human emotions. You know, there's one picture, there's just this huge smile of anticipation. One of them is just deadlocked onto that ice cream cone, waiting to get it. It's the anticipation of it. And the ones that hate it are really funny because they will just turn their heads away and they, they just, like, one of them looks so incredibly sad. She's like, mm. she looks sad that that is being, they go, oh, we thought she would love it. She loves ice cream at home. I go, well, she probably gets people ice cream at home. Here she's getting dog ice cream and, you know, there's no sugar and there's no, you know, it's good for dogs' digestive system. And, and the look on her face is like, so we have a lot of dogs that don't like ice cream uh, featured in the book. I would say 85% of the dogs love the ice cream and about 15%. Oh, that's interesting. Really hate it. So tell me about designing and laying out the book. Was that something that you were completely responsible for? Did you work with an editor at the publishing company? The art director put that together. So I didn't have any, um, you know, some of them, some dogs have their own double truck spread. Okay. And then some of them, you know, are, are they're just squares in the book. Oh, yeah, I didn't have anything to do with that. I just supplied them, and you know, they never came back and said, "Do something else, do do this or that." They just put it together from there. So, you, was, and you were pleased with the result? Or? Yeah, I was. I w- was very pleased with the result. I think it's it's a colorful, fun book. It is published by Familius, which is a family publisher. It's not so much a family book. I think it's a book for anybody. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, it's 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 just really fun. Yeah, I'm pleased with how it turned out, and you know, it's uh, I don't even think I I don't think they even picked the best dogs for the cover, which is funny. Um, but so when you get into the book, you'll see some really yeah, they're uh, all very cute dogs, but none of them seems like they're like the, the bigger dogs. We did we had huskies, we had German shepherds, we had we had all kinds of dogs, Bedlington terriers. That was her. Slightly bigger dogs, not huge. Mm-hmm. We had a standard poodle. Uh, I don't think the standard didn't make the book, but we had all kind, all sizes, all sizes. We just raised up the lights depending on you know who was sitting on that ottoman. So you talked about your composites, uh-huh. and I, I, I want to talk to you about the noir one. Oh yeah, my dog noir. Yeah, that's really cool. Tell us about that. Okay. Well, after the ice cream book, I was looking for a new project. And I was at a business retreat, this, ironically the same one where I met the publish, the guy who introduced me to his publisher. So I was brainstorming with this person, and she said, she was just rapid fire saying some things, and she said, film noir, and I, I just like stopped in my tracks, like, that's it. That is a brilliant concept. So, I start, so that was in September, and I started shooting them, I think, in November, November being a very busy holiday kind of month, so it was a busy time for me. And so I started sneaking in some in November. So what they are is they're very cinematic. Um, They're actually shot in a 16 by 9 aspect ratio because I want it to look like film. I didn't realize later that a lot of those movies are in a... uh, (laughs) (laughs) They're in a... Not a 4 by 3. They're in in that old-fashioned aspect. Like, you know, the 8 by 10, you know, the... They're in that kind of like more truncated kind of things, but I kept them in the film ratio, sixteen by nine. We go to places. There's a lot, you know. LA's changed a lot, so you're not going to find 
some things that are dead on, but there's some that are just gorgeous places. One place that was beautiful, we went to the Glendale Railroad Station, railway station. Beautiful, Um, beautiful spot. Beautiful. And that was actually used in a movie. Um, So I had this woman in a beret and a trench coat, and she's holding her Yorkie. So the idea is that they look like they've been pulled right out, straight out of the movie, straight out of a film noir movie, but they are, um, they're always with an animal. And that hasn't been done before. You know, you've you've seen film noir actors with their dogs in a publicity still, but you don't see the dogs, you know, you don't see the dogs in the movies, you don't see that anywhere. So that's what I uh, set about to create. And the people who have been doing these are just so into them. Like they will, I bought all this, hats, I have these hats, I have fedoras, I have beautiful 1940s ties, I have all this stuff, but these people are coming, they're dressed on their own. I, like, I think it's wonderful that, you know, it's kind of like the more you put into it, the more you get out of it, so they are just, you know, doing it up with their with their wardrobe. And some of them I've provided wardrobe, and I have a lot of nice wardrobe items for people, but um, yeah, we've had, we've done the, the Glendale was great. Uh, we did one in, at the Paris Orange Empire Railway Museum. Oh, yeah. That was fantastic. I was trying to get somebody from L.A. It's a long way away. It's 90, 90 miles. And I was trying to get somebody from L.A. to come out with me with their dog. And it just turned, it just, the day we were going to do it, we found out it was going to be a three-hour drive instead of an hour and a half oh, drive. Yeah. And it was like, uh by the time we get there, it'll be closed. I reluctantly told the uh, administrative assistant um, at the railway station, uh, we or railway museum, we can't make it out there. I said, but do you know anybody who has a dog that, you know, I can just do it out there instead of having to, you know, have somebody commit to that amount of time? And she goes, I'll do it, and my fiancé will do it. And so they had two dogs. We ended up shooting them. It was, like, fantastic. He's... There's a photo of him pointing a gun, hanging out of a out of a train that says Los Angeles on it, and then he has a Doberman Pinscher, you know, looking in the same direction. And then she, she, hers is one of the most gorgeous photos that I've done for this series. She's sitting in a trolley car, you know, the old-fashioned hat on, a, a fur coat on, and she's sitting with her uh, German Shepherd, and they're both looking in the same direction. And she has this look of fear on her face, and it's just wonderful. Oh, it's great. It, it, that is one of my favorites. Um, I had this couple. I've photographed them ironically two other times. One time they hired me for a full session for their puppy, and then they came to one of my uh, ice cream socials. So I called them up and I said, "Hey, I would really, you know, would you be at all interested in doing this?" And man, they got down with it and. They said that they wanted to go to Chinatown. So that's where we went. And, of course, we almost got kicked out. But they're a little strict. (laughs) But we ended up getting a fantastic image of them. with their. They have a miniature schnauzer, and they're, like, running through Chinatown. And you can see all of the... uh, The uh, Lanterns? Yeah, the lanterns. It was right around... um, I think they're out there all the time, but it, it was right around the Chinese New Year. It was right after the Chinese New Year, and so they had all these lanterns around, and it just looked so, and they're running, and you could see the, the danger on their faces. It was cool. It seems like you, you keep yourself having fun with all this stuff. I have a huge list that I want to go to. I have my wardrobe collection, and um, I have 
I, you know, I know what, what I want to get out of it now. So I'm just having fun. I, I hope to make this one into a, a book, a coffee table book or something. It isn't the thing that you would actually buy a book uh, or a, a portrait of someone else and their dog. Mm-hmm. You know, that often is not the case. People will not buy. Yeah, but as a series like that, it makes as a lot a series, of sense. Yeah, because they're all different locations. We're really featuring Los Angeles. Yeah, and, and there are a lot of ins. With, yeah. With that idea. Yeah. Oh, I'm cool. I'm loving how it's turning out. Yeah. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh, that is so interesting. It can be national or Anybody. international. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know who I recommend? Grace John. She is such a good animal photographer. She used to be a pet photographer at the consumer level, and now mm-hmm. she's gone into um, to uh, animal photography commercially. And I remember looking at Grace's website when I was still working before I had been laid off, and I go, "Oh my God, I love what she does. The what she, she it's such a natural way of." dogs. I can still look at her stuff and go, oh God, I wish mine would measure up. But her photography is so clean. She used to be an art director. She is in Los Angeles. She's fantastic. And she has a podcast on um, genius and creativity. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check So, out. yeah. I, I think it's creativity, not genius. Uh, creativity. But, you know, us creatives are we think we're geniuses. Yeah. Okay, we think we are. I, I know we are. And, and she is fantastic. She, she is really good. We, we've had a few email exchanges, and I was doing a project at um, Annenberg Pet Space, mm-hmm. and she was doing one for the Annenberg Photography, but she was doing the lecture at the Annenberg Pet Space because it was pet photography related. And I went up to her and I just fangirled all over her. Oh. Yeah, it was it was sad. And she goes, <laughs> "What she said?" She goes, "You're the one who does the ice cream." So she knew oh, she nice. actually knew me. That's so cool. it was that was cool. Yeah, oh, that's great. But I fangirl all over Grace John. Yeah, that's cool. she's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming by. Oh my God, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. It was just babbling, but you know, <laughs> good babbling. <laughs> that's who I am. Thanks to Diana for sharing her time and story with us. You can find out more about her and her work by visiting dianalundine.com. And her new book, Dogs vs. Ice Cream, is available for pre-order now. And you'll find a link for it in the show notes and our website. To be the voice that introduces the episode like Robert Coffey did this week, just send us an audio file recorded on your phone, tablet, or computer saying something like, This is Randy Hall from Las Vegas, Nevada, and this is The Candid Frame. Say it at least a couple of times so we have a take to choose from, and also include three to four seconds of silence with your voice to help us clean up the audio. Also, make sure to include a link to your website, blog, or Instagram feed when you send it to info at thecandidframe.com. I also have a variety of workshops I'm leading in the coming months, including one in two weeks in Washington, D.C. at the Focus on the Story Photo Festival, 
a two-day workshop in June at the Los Angeles Center of Photography, and a week-long cultural experience in Tokyo, Japan in December. We have also added a workshop in Vancouver, Canada in August, which I'll be teaching alongside one of my favorite photographers, Olaf Staba. Sign up soon, as spaces are limited. And if you want to get a sense of my teaching style and approach to photography, you should check out my YouTube channel where I offer critiques and evaluations of photography submitted by TCF listeners who contribute to the Candid Frame Flickr pool. You can check out the TCF Flickr pool and our YouTube channel by clicking on the link in the show notes and the website. As mentioned earlier, my book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, is now available. You can purchase it today and receive 40% off the list price when you order it from the Rocky Nook website. Use the promo code PORELLO40 at checkout to take advantage of the discount. And if you want to keep up with all things Candid Frame, sign up for our mailing list and you'll receive three free copies of my previously published ebooks. And if you like what you've been hearing on the show, Please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes Store, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you write a review on a blog post, let me know that as well and send me a link because I would like to thank you on air. Thanks to Michael67 for his five-star review. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon, or you can make a one-time contribution via PayPal. You'll find links for both in the show notes and the website. Thanks to Grandpa Skip and J.P. Miskowski for their recent contributions. And if you want to easily access every episode of The Candid Frame, download The Candid Frame app. It's available for both Apple iOS and Android, and it's free. Download it today, and you'll find it where everything else is in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. We also have an Alexa app, so if you have one of those smart devices, download the skill and listen to the show that way. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame.